We both love food. We both like to cook and eat, eat and cook. <laughs> if, if, we, if we didn't, we wouldn't be here, you know? So we just cook the food that we would want to eat. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. We've talked a lot about community and culture on Deep in the Weeds, but for the most part, that discussion has been in and around the Australian restaurant sector. How does that sense of community and connection translate in other cities around the world, and namely New York? Kamari Mick is the executive pastry chef at the Musket Room in Manhattan's Nolita neighbourhood. Kamari, how are you? I'm great. How about yourself? I'm really good. It's great to get you on the show. What's things like in New York at the moment? Right now, we're having extremely odd, nice weather for November, um, 70 degrees over here. And uh, we're getting ready for the busy season. You know, holidays is around the corner and everybody just likes to drop money. So (laughs) (laughs) we're we're getting ready for for that. It's been a pretty turbulent couple of years for everyone on the planet and particularly in hospitality. But what's the feeling like moving into this sort of um, holiday period and um, restaurants being busy again? Does it What's it feel like? It feels it feels great because I feel like we're finally back. I don't want to say we're back to normal because there will never be back to normal, but we're back to a cadence in where um, everybody's getting a little bit more comfortable. You know, um, we can actually make more connections with the guest. We can um, people are booking more parties, and everybody just wants to get back out there and get back to you know what they used to do. So it, it's great. It's 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 good for business. I love that you mentioned community there because you're very community minded and regularly organise sort of groups of young chefs, uh, young chefs for collaborative sort of projects. Tell us, tell us a little bit about that. I do. So I kind of started to get my rise and come into my own through a project uh, which started during the pen the pandemic, um, I was at a black food pop-up for black entrepreneurs, Uh, Greg Braxton of Olmstead and Mason Yaki held um, a pop-up for chefs and entrepreneurs Um, for about two weeks. We each got um, a couple of days and that's kind of how I got my start. And then post that to keep the momentum going, I started selling donuts through my Instagram and yeah, I mean, because I would get on my bike and just bike all over Brooklyn. And um, I got a DM one day from Nicole Vitagliano. Uh, she's like, hey, you know, I saw I saw your post. Can uh, do you have any donuts left? I was like, I matter of fact, I do. I have six. You know, they're yours if you want them. Um, come to find out she's the sister of the owner of the musket room, Jennifer Vitagliano. And. Then I got an email a couple of days later saying like, hey, do you want to come in for an interview? (laughs) Wow. Yeah. (laughs) So I I come in and they're like, pretty much loved your stuff. Do you want a job? (laughs) I'm like, great. Yes, I do. Because I'm going stock crazy, not doing anything out of my, you know, studio apartment of in Brooklyn, you know? So I was like, absolutely. I, I don't, I've, of course I've heard of the musket room, but you know, I, I like never thought I would actually, you know, get a job on spot. <laughs> tell, tell us a little bit about, um, what you did, um, this year with black Hi- uh, history month. 
So um, in the beginning of the year, I started doing a couple of pop-ups with some friends, chefs that I admire. Um, so during Black History Month, I created this box in which I invited a bunch of chefs around the the city. Uh, Brittany Williams, she runs, um, her Instagram account is uh, Sticks, and she runs a catering business uh, outside out of Brooklyn, which is like Jamaican based food and I'm Jamaican so we had a connection we followed each other on Instagram how great friendship starts you know um I also had uh Jamal Daly he did his gluten-free nut-free macarons which he also sells through Instagram Rachel Bossett she is a chocolatier and also the pastry chef at um Dirt Candy which they just got their Michelin star this year and um a couple of others and it was so dope because it was just a, a a great way for like you know to continue to uplift each other and put each other on the spot um and it was it was amazing i i loved having them here oh also aretta from she's now the cdc at gramercy tavern um which honestly is a big accomplishment for her because as the first black female um cdc at uh, Grand Mystery Tavern. So it's it's huge honor to have been working alongside her. What sort of impact are these uh, events having on on people? But also, what sort of impact is it having on you creating them? Um, it's it's amazing because I have always I okay. Let's start from the point of I have never truly had a mentor who looked like me. There, I, there's no black woman pastry chef that I have worked with. So. It's, it's an honor to not only meet and work alongside, but we are the, we are becoming the standard, you know? We are becoming that people, persons, man, woman, chefs, that the new generation can now look up to, which is very important to me, especially when we're talking about the new generation of black and brown chefs. Um, it's very important to have somebody who looks like you and have representation and a seat at the table for us to be able to continue on such a glamorous road that we're now on. You mentioned um, your Jamaican heritage. Take us back to when you were young. What sort of role did food play in your family? Oh my gosh, my parents, I love to gush about my parents, first off. <laughs> they are like, my sister says she's my number one cheerleader, but I mean, honestly, they're, they're the best. My dad is Jamaican uh, from Portland. Um, my mom was born and raised in Brooklyn, and they're both amazing cooks. Um, my dad, you know, he's a, he's a truck driver, so he would come home on the weekends and take over, you know, the weekend cooking, where um, my mom would do, like, the, the weekday cooking. Um, so barbecues growing up, we would get whole roasted pigs, um, grill like my dad made makes his own grill out of an oil drum which is traditionally what we do um we have our own smokers it's like the whole nine yards and we would just throw block parties for like throughout the summer it's just like the best memories um and my dad's food is still like rain rained key in my house like it's so amazing when did baking become a fascination uh, for you? Was it something that you thought about from an early age? Um, yes. So I was a chubby kid. <laughs> um, and growing up, like I could talk about my family's cooking all day, all night, but they can't bake for shit. Oh, can I curse? <laughs> 
<laughs> Am I a little cursed? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Okay, great. Um, they're not great bakers. So the journey started when um, my mom and I, I was like, I always wanted something sweet after dinner. I'm like, can we can we bake something together? So my mom and I started baking together when I was like eight. And then it just snowballed. And by the time I was in high school, I was selling things to my teachers on the low low. I was like, I got that chocolate chip muffin. I got that. I got that cobbler you want it. You know, it was it was great. Um, and then it spiraled to, you know, that point when you're like 16, 17, my parents sat me down and were like, hey, what do you want to do with your life? And I was like, I want to be a forensic pathologist. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and they, uh, my dad like looked at me like deadpan and was like, are you serious? You love to bake and you're getting really good at it. Like, why don't you get a college education out of this? Like, why don't you go be a baker? Because if you don't like the cliche, if you love what you do, it won't feel like work every day, you know? And it's true. I, I love what I do and I love like what I've made out of it. And it's just been the best journey, um, I, I don't even have anything else to compare it to because I've been doing it since I was 18. <laughs> well, take us back to when you were, were a kid. Was there anything that really stands out from, you know, the first time you tried baking it with your mother? Oh, it was an absolute failure. Um, <laughs> the first time, like, I, I, I think we made, like, a couple of cakes together. And I, I still have this picture, and it's on my Instagram. It's like... I have wild hair, I look disheveled, and I'm holding these like two mini cakes, and I just look like I went through it. Honestly, I look like I just did 300 covers <laughs> on a Saturday night. <laughs> like, I look so worn out at eight years old. Um, but, you know, looking back, it's just like, it, I, I know I was very proud of myself and what I've done, and it's it's, it, I still feel that way every every day. Take us to those early years. Was was life in a commercial kitchen and and going to um, pastry college? Was that a bit a bit different to what you had been used to baking at home? Oh, of course. Um, you know, all of a sudden, you know, it went from my mom yelling at me to a Frenchman yelling at me, and I'm just like, oh my god, the child trauma is coming through. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> she, she's gonna hate with that when she hears that. But and um, <laughs> um no, it was. It was definitely different. I, I went to college right right from high school um, to the restaurant school at Walnut Hill College. So now all of a sudden I have 6 a.m. classes, like a, it's called a production class. So it's six to 11. And then I would have like a lecture and then possibly like a night class. And that's almost every day. And then on top of that, we had to have an internship. And my crazy ass was like, I want a job too. <laughs> And so all of a sudden I'm now volunteering, making, um, doing um, like 60, 70 hours a week as an 18 year old. Um, and then it became my senior, junior, senior year because it was only like a three year program. So junior, senior year, I'm now like, I want to add something else on my plate and became like a, a student leader, which is essentially I guess you compare it to like an RA, but for the whole school where I had a certain amount of hours I had to work and I worked in the pastry shop um, 
you know, as a cashier barista and yeah, it, it was such a, it was a free labor title, essentially, almost like work study, if you will. What were some of the really important uh, venues and people that you worked with as you built your career in pastry? Um, so one of my very first jobs were in the industry was Morimoto. Um, actually rewinding that, when I was in high school, I worked at Wegmans and it, Wegmans is a, uh, a supermarket, one of my favorite supermarkets. Honestly, I shop there all the time, chef's kiss. <laughs> quality food. <laughs> um, but my first professional industry restaurant job was Morimoto. And then I worked there for two years. And after that, even before graduation, I had a job offer in Nantucket to go um, work there as like their pastry sous chef, essentially, uh, at a restaurant called Ventuno. And so that's a seasonal job. So they were like, when can you start? And I was like, I'm about to graduate and they're like can you come this week and I was like sure and I'd even walk at my graduation my parents weren't exactly happy but I still have the diploma so it's okay <laughs> um and so I worked two seasons at um at Ventuno in Nantucket came back the second season my sister was pregnant so I was like I'm not going to do a third I'm just going to get a job in um in New York because she lives in Jersey and so I got a job at Daniel Balud's Bistro in Midtown as their pastry sous chef, was there for a little bit, uh, and then I had left, I took a little bit of a break, and then I went to La Bernadette. Sorry, I'm trying to remember my resume. <laughs> um, I, I took a position at La Bernadette working under Chef Thomas Raquel. Um, then went to go work at Tack Room, which is a Thomas Keller restaurant, which is now closed in New York City. And then the pandemic switched everybody's life upside down. And now I'm here at the Musket Room. Well, take us back to the kitchens of like Le Bernardin and uh, Thomas Keller's Tack Room. Do you have any stories of what it was like learning pastry in those kitchens? It was intense, for sure. Um, but yet there is still like a, a lightheartedness to it. Um, <laughs> recalling one story um, I so the way the pastry uh, station was set up is kind of like its own um, corner essentially like most pastry stations and my I was quenelling some ice cream onto a plate and I was just being a little you know goofy and making this French accent I was like oh, don't you don't you just live the you know whatever and and I was like <laughs> and the pair walks up behind me and he's like oh do you think it's funny to make fun of the French I was like oh no no chef <laughs> so like while it was intense and we all very much cared about the food like we were still able to you know have a good laugh at least I hope he was laughing after that <laughs> What is it about um, pastry that um, that excites you so much? Um, the experimentation. There's so much you can do with pastry. Um, and especially, I, I'm not a vegan, but I'm so fascinated by vegan food. And especially like the experimentation when it comes to vegan, veganism at least. Um, because here at Mascarum, we do have a vegan tasting. Um, and... I try 
especially to make the the vegan dessert look just as good, just as pretty, just as tasty as our um, omnivore tasting. And it's not hard, but it's not easy at the same time. Sourcing things and trying to rewrite recipes that have classically been, you know, with a ton of butter or with egg whites or what have you, because, you know, the French love butter obviously. <laughs> so trying to find those other ways to, you know, take a traditional or classic dessert and make it vegan has always been very fun to me. Um, just, you know, we're in the hospitality industry. So trying to, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Hone in on everybody's aversions is it's, it's kind of nice. Tell us a little bit about the musket room and, and the restaurant and the offering. So the Musket Room is a new American restaurant led by uh, the executive chef, Mary Atia, is ran by um, Jennifer Vitagliano. She is the owner. Also, um, our GM is Adam Jaffe and myself as the uh, pastry chef. We have two tasting menus. Um, One is omnivore, one is vegan. Both offer six courses. Um, and we also have a wine pairing done by our Psalm, uh, Ramon. In the thick of the pandemic, you spearheaded the launch of MR All Day. Tell us a bit about what that is. I did. So MR All Day was a, um, 1972 Voyager truck and, um, had me come on in the height of the pandemic, you know, they bought my donuts and that's exactly what they were looking to sell during that time. So... Um, it wasn't only just donuts. We had this breakfast sandwich that was so good. It was a maple miso sausage, pork sausage, um, with fried egg, uh, uh, Gruyere cheese, and uh, a biscuit that I made, a buttermilk biscuit. It was amazing and to die for. It, it wasn't one of those sandwiches that you're like going to cover in ketchup. Like it was just you eat as is. So good. Um, along with that, you know, coffee, tea, hot toddies. Actually, what we, we used to call them tod is a hottie. <laughs> and uh, just I would change some. I used to make these baked bao buns and I would change them weekly or biweekly or what have you. Um, but my favorite was definitely the ube one. It was like a ube uh, pie, like a sweet potato pie inside a bao bun. It was just delicious and warm and purple. It was amazing. What's a typical day for you at the moment? A typical day is um, actually testing for the new restaurant that we are opening. So uh, right now I come in and proof and bake croissants and eat croissants. (laughs) So gaining weight is a typical day. (laughs) Um, No, but... I come in, do production, and uh, just keep everybody up and running over here. Uh, we, Like I said, we are in the process of uh, opening something up, so it's, it's been a lot of R&D of, of, of late. Tell us a little bit about uh, your food. Uh, is there a, a dish or two that sort of exemplifies your approach to pastry? Um, I love to say that I am whimsical and I like to play around with my food. Um, 
right now, one of my favorite dishes is the vegan pavlova, on, which I have on the vegan menu. Um, it is a Szechuan peppercorn whipped ganache with a aquafaba meringue, papaya sorbet, and fresh papaya ribbons that have been um, tossed in some lemon juice and simple syrup. And yeah, that's that's it. Oh, there's like papaya puree on there that we make as well, and it's 100% vegan. Wow, you've uh, you've already um, received some acknowledgements, you know, James Beard Award nomination um, this year, and some glowing reviews as well in the New York Times. Well, what's it like being caught up in a in a restaurant that's new American and carving a new path? Um, it's amazing, honestly. Uh, like I said, I, I'm I'm glad. I can be almost like a trailblazer for, you know, black women in the kitchen, uh, seeing and doing and just being in this space has been absolutely amazing. And I'm glad to be able to like help pave the way. Manhattan is such a bustling place with so many varied dining options. Uh, what does it take to stand out from a, from the crowd there? Honestly, I think, and I, I can't speak for Mary, but just doing the food that we want to eat on the regular basis, it's, it's what helps us stand out. Like, we're not trying to impress. I mean, we are trying to impress our guests, of course. But at the end of the day, like, I would want a restaurant, want, want our restaurant to be where hospitality diners would want to come. Like, the hospitality workers would want to come. Um I would, I, I just, we both love food. We both like to, you know, cook, cook and eat, eat and cook. <laughs> if, if, we, if we didn't, we wouldn't be here, you know? So we, we just want, we just cook the food that we would want to eat. New York is a food de destination for lots of people around the globe. Have you got any favorite New York food moments that you've experienced that you can share? Um... Oh my gosh, yes. So 63 Clinton, I just had the best tasting menu there. That was that was really good. I tell all the cooks, like if they're looking for places to go out and eat, that's definitely a place that they should stop. Um, their tasting menu is under $100. It's six courses and it's just so well thought out and delicious and affordable really. You mentioned that you've never had a, a mentor um, like yourself through your career, but now you're in a position to um, make a statement and help others. So tell us a little bit about your approach to getting the best out of your team and mentoring the team that you have. So my approach is, I mean, one, we all make mistakes. Two, we're all human and nobody deserves to be yelled at, period. Like, we don't do that toxic energy in our kitchen. You know, everybody gets treated with respect in the same level that, you know, you treat everybody the way you want to be treated, essentially. That's what I was grown up and taught. So that's how, like, Chef and I run the kitchen. Isn't um, so if, if you were to make a mistake, you know, we just go over it together. Maybe we make it again. And that's that. Like, we don't expect perfection on the first go you mentioned uh, the food loving family um that you that you have and they kind of push you in the direction of becoming a pastry chef what what do they think about the career that you've created for yourself oh my gosh they love it 
They absolutely love it. They they love the perks of it too. Uh, funnily enough, there there was a James Beard event that I was invited to, and I got two plus one tickets. And I invited my parents, and everybody at the end of that event knew who were who Conrad and Terry Mick were. And my sister is just there. She some my sister somehow got a ticket too, and she was just there watching my parents just like talk up and you know eat and drink, eat and drink. It was so much fun. They are, they they love it. They they love seeing us. You know, especially like my father uh, and us being first generation. They love us to see us thrive and have the things that they didn't have or do the things that they couldn't do or haven't done. Um, so that they love they love that journey for us. <laughs> Who else is exciting you in the pastry scene in uh, in New York at the moment? Um. Definitely Kelly Kelly Nam uh, at Jumak. I, I hope I'm saying that right. Um, she was just nominated as the best pastry chef in New York City. I wish I had some like air horns by Michelin. <laughs> I I uh, went there the other night with Rachel, and she just did a fantastic job. And I just cannot be more excited to call her a peer. Uh, she's doing great. Also, Orlando Soto at La Bernadette, too. Uh, his stuff is so... I've always... We worked together briefly, and I have just always been so amazed by his work, and I've always looked up to him. Like, it's just so... He's such a talent. Uh, well, you're making an incredible impact yourself uh, with your talents. What's next for you? Um, opening this restaurant... <laughs> And surviving that, because <laughs> we all know op- opening a restaurant can be, you know, a little stressful. So there's that. And then uh, hopefully we do some pop-ups outside of New York, you know. I would love to go to Jamaica and do a pop-up. Maybe Australia, who knows. Um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so just uh, traveling after that, you know, taking a little bit of a breather and then getting back to the grind. Well, um, you're making an amazing impact. What, what do you love about what you do? Now that I'm a manager, I love the freedom and the creativity that I can impart onto the menu, especially bringing my own heritage. As you, you know, heard, I'm using papaya, which traditionally, I've never seen papaya on any dessert menu, let alone a menu with a Michelin star. So being able to bring my own flavors and my own twist on things into this space has been very important to me. Um, And I I do get reached out to about that a lot. Like they're just, you know, some people are just so impressed and so, you know, feeling welcomed almost that they see their heritage on the menu too and i feel like that just makes it more attractive other than um you know eating the same old same old like oh just because pumpkins are in season right now doesn't mean we have to use them like there's other stuff that's in season that we can source maybe not from you know a traditional vendor but maybe i have to make a trip down to chinatown or i have to make a trip to calustians which is an amazing um spice store up in uh what, what, what district is that Midtown, but yeah, um, it's just being able to express myself and bring a little bit of me to the menu that I love. 
Well, Kamari, it's an absolute honour to have you on Deep in the Weeds today to hear a part of your story. Good luck with the, the new venture and congratulations on what you're building with your career and keep in touch and we'll catch up again soon. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And um, Will was right. Your voice is very soothing. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Kamari. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.